Welcome to the Talk BD Podcast, where we break down the science and strategies to live well with bipolar disorder. A warm welcome, everybody, to our Talk BD Podcast for today. I'm Dr. Erin Mahalik, founder and leader of the Crest BD Network. Uh, this is an unusual experience. It's nine o'clock my time on a Sunday morning. I don't know that I've ever recorded a podcast this early in the morning. How about you, Greg Manuel? I've done yeah. it at different time zones. For, for me, it's a normal thing to do. <laughs> I'm always running. And what about you, Greg? Are you a morning person or an evening person? Morning. I do my best work in the mornings. Absolutely. Excellent. Well-timed then. I'm joining from the West Coast of Canada, so I think I'm in the earliest time zone of the three of us. And it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you both, Greg and Manuel. Thank you. We're here to talk about psychosis and bipolar disorder. And I think one of the great places to start before we get to some introductions is thinking about how people have conversations about psychosis more broadly. And if you look at the image that's uh, being uh, shown to you now, or if you're joining on the podcast version and just listening to this, I'll describe it to you. Um, this is a, an image that's generated by artificial intelligence. And if you type psychosis into an AI algorithm machine, you'll get an image that often looks a lot like this. It's very uh, Dali-esque. It shows you a very fractured representation of self. It's frankly quite scary and dysphoric to look at. One of the things we're doing today in this Talk BD, Talk BD episode is gathering to talk about experiences and clinical experiences of psychosis in the context of bipolar disorder in everyday life, in real life, and to be uh, unpacking whether this image is really representative of what it's like to live with psychosis on the ground. I'm very excited for the event today, but let's begin with some introductions and start with you, Greg. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, thanks, Erin. Uh, right now, I'm living in Cocoa Beach, Florida. We've been here for about seven years. And that's this warm, sunny, bright environment has been key to my you know, recovery journey from bipolar disorder, type one, and also psychosis. Uh, I grew up in the Boston area, joined the army at a young age and went to West Point. And I served for 36 years as an active duty army officer with great success, being promoted all the way up through two-star general. Uh, having multiple commands, lots of schooling, got to go to grad school at MIT. And at the age of 47, when I was a colonel uh, leading a brigade of combat engineers in the first year of the Iraq war, uh, I had the uh, genetic predisposition for bipolar disorder was triggered. And I entered, I, my bipolar disorder journey started in 2003. It increased and enhanced my performance for the first several years. Uh, the mania gave me more energy, enthusiasm, drive, and so forth. But over the next 11 years, my mania went higher. My depression went lower. My psychosis began to increase until by 2014, 11 years after onset, I went into full-blown mania, intense psychosis, and I was over the top, out of control, you know, literally in a state of madness. And I was uh, forced to uh, resign from my job, forced to retire, ordered to get a psychiatric evaluation. And then I crashed into two years of bipolar hell, depression uh, that was just crippling and hope hopeless, psychosis that was terrifying. So I sl slogged through two years of that, was ho hospitalized. And then finally, with lithium, my symptoms began to lift and they lifted in a big way. And on, for the last seven years, I've really been on a very successful journey of recovery where I'm living now at this point, a really happy, healthy, successful life. And I've got to manage my condition for the rest of my life, like any other chronic disease, the way people manage diabetes. In my life mission, my purpose is sharing my bipolar story to help stop the stigma, 
alleviate suffering and save lives. So I'm really living a happy, fulfilling life. Thank you, Greg. It's interesting you use that phrase bipolar hell at one point in your life. And it doesn't sound like you're experiencing that state at this point. Tell us what tell us what two, the last couple of days, the last weekend has been like for you and the life of Greg at this point of your life. So seven years ago, when I started taking lithium, my uh, depression lifted, my psychosis pretty much went away, and I have not gone back into any type of mania. So I've reverted to my prior, my pre-bipolar hyperthymic personality, which is a low level of, of near continual mild mania. So lots of energy, lots of enthusiasm, fun loving, love being around people. And that personality type has returned. So I, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. And just this weekend in general, uh, I worked pretty hard on my talk for the ISBD conference. I went out with my dancing friends and we danced and kind of had a little party Saturday afternoon. That was great. Uh, my wife and I watched a movie last night. She made my favorite cake for Father's Day, which is a carrot cake. So I, I had a piece of carrot cake with uh, coffee today. Then we went out on a fantastic beach walk and then went to our favorite breakfast place. And now I'm here on this uh, on this call. So life is rich and full, productive and fun. I think I'd love uh, to meet your wife. What's her name? <laughs> her, her, uh, she goes by Maggie. Her Maggie. official name is, is Margaret. Maybe I'll get to chat, uh, the chance to try Maggie's that's, carrot cake one day. That's an amazing Sante Father's Day morning. Dr. Manuel Sanchez de Carmona, how has your weekend looked? Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Manuel Sanchez de Carmona. I'm a psychiatrist here in Mexico City. I'm a professor of psychiatry in the Anahuac University School of Medicine. And I'm an ISBD past president. That's that, as as you know, is the International Society for Bipolar Disorders. And uh, this morning, I actually already had a spinning class and did some running. I'm, I'm very active, and uh, I'm all pumped up to talk to you. And and Greg, I love the description that you gave. And honestly, I don't think that's hypomania. I think that's your personality, and I think that. That's the most exciting part of it. When you're on the proper medication, your personality flourishes and you actually enjoy life in that way. And the medication works like a buffer because you still may have some ups and downs, but the medication is working that have you just on point. And that's how I see you. So I'm so happy and proud to see you this way. That's great. Thank you. So one of the things that we've done in preparation for this podcast episode is go through five years of past events that CrestBD has been holding. So every year, for example, we hold an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, and we've had many of these TalkBD episodes now. So we've gone through all of the real questions relating to psychosis and bipolar disorder and looked for some common themes among them. And I think it would be a great approach for this episode today just to walk through together some of those questions that are coming up and to collaboratively address them. And as I went through those questions, the thing that really struck me was how diverse people's experiences of psychosis in the context of bipolar disorder are. So maybe that's a good place to start, Greg, with you to ask you, you know, what were your experiences of psychosis like? How did they seem for you from your lived experience? So I had one psychotic experience when I was 23, but it was not associated with bipolar disorder. So if I have time at the end, I'll relate that one as well. But where it really started was in the Iraq war in 2003, where I was mostly manic. I felt bulletproof and it was, but it was the start of my paranoia that really became, you know, these paranoid delusions. And the paranoia started with certain looks, comments, feelings, actions that I interpreted as being against me. And so there were elements of reality, but my mind took them to levels that, that really weren't true. My paranoid delusions grew stronger from Iraq through 2016. And I believed there, I had enemies who were out to get me. 
They, they wanted to get me fired, stripped my pay and rank stripped to see me jailed and destroyed. And then it became deadly and terrifying when I was in bipolar hell from 2014 to 16 uh, while I was depressed. These, I had this crippling fear of arrest, demotion, jail time, brutal visions of my own death in jail where I would be beaten, tortured, stabbed to death, face down on a cold concrete prison floor, gurgling in a pool of my own blood. And this murder went through my mind repeatedly and terrified me. I had another psychotic delusion or hallucination of an invisible deadly force in 2015 and 16. Again, when I was depressed, it would grab me and throw me underneath a speeding 18-wheeler truck, which would tear me apart. And I would see my arms and legs and head flying out from underneath the truck. Or that same force would grab my hands on the steering wheel and drive me into an oncoming truck, uh, killing me instantly. When I finally went to the VA in 2016, they asked a question, you know, they said, did you, do you have any morbid thoughts of death and dying? And I said, yes. And I described those to the doctor. And he said, those are passive suicidal ideations. And it was the only time I was asked that question. And he said, this is really serious because they could become active. And he said, hey, we really need to keep you here in the you know, inpatient ward for a while, uh, which was a good thing for me. I had other hallucinations in 2014 when I was in full-blown mania that I was flying. I, I, I could see myself. I would go out on late night bike rides in Washington, D.C., and the bike would lift up off the ground and I would fly over and between the monuments. Another time I was on a ferry boat and I lifted up off the boat and I was flying above the boat over the ocean. I saw the Holy Spirit descend multiple times when I was in mania. I believed for a while that I was the Apostle Paul in the U.S. Department of Defense, thought I was the smartest man alive, held the key to world peace, and that I could take America and the world security to a whole new level. Some other hallucinations, I would see faces morph at various times of high stress. Like if I went to a funeral of a soldier, I would see the face of the fallen soldier morph into the faces of my sons. And my bureaucratic opponents at work, their faces would morph into the faces of snakes and rats. Along the way, I would have PTSD flashbacks to Iraq where hallucinations where I had the sights, the sounds, the smell, the feel of combat, explosions, fires, thick smoke, bullets flying, death all around. And the people who are opposing me in my, my job running the university, National Defense University, they would morph into enemy fighters. So that was a very dangerous time where bad things could have happened. Another one was when I saw demons attacking our house where we live. And so for protection, I put Bibles, crosses, crucifixes in the windows and doors, sprinkled holy water. And then I saw the hands of God come down and protect our house against them. And then uh, this big boa constrictor snake in 2016, where I was depressed, would slither out of the woods every morning, come up and squeeze the life out of me, leaving me crushed, exhausted, unable to function. But just, you know, I'll wrap up here. Since uh, lithium in 2016, when I started up until today, my psychotic episodes are much, much fewer because I was having them every single day, multiple times per day, if not continually. So they're way fewer and they're much milder. Um, so the medication and the therapy have improved my life and reduced the psychosis to where it's, it's very, very minor. And I'm living a very happy, productive, healthy life. Goodness, Greg, I'm not sure that I've ever heard such an eloquent, vibrant description of psychosis before. Thank you so much for sharing. And, and the thing that strikes me is, you know, we were talking about different experiences of psychosis between people, but your internal experience of psychosis ranged from what sounds like sheer terror through to some experiences that are almost more transcendental. And so just the diversity of what you experienced over time as as well is just so striking. One of the questions that we 
had come in from the AMA, Manuel speaks to that. Is why do psychotic symptoms manifest so differently for different people? Isn't it just the same as extreme mania? And what are the most common clinical manifestations that you see from your experience? Absolutely. And uh, first of all, I have to say there are a lot of misconceptions about what psychosis really is. And psychosis actually is not only hallucinations. It's a whole mental process in which your brain is out of reality. And this is not a fantasy because for the brain who is living in psychosis, it's their reality. It's happening in their brain actually on the same level that reality is happening is happening outside. So the first misconception is that it's all like a fantasy, which is not a fantasy for the person because it's happened with the same reality and vivid detail that you're, that, that you're having the real life in front of you. So that's one point. Second, ideas, did, uh, I, I want to address what delusions are. Delusional idea is a, it's a thought, it's a process that can be reduced to logic when you're not in psychosis, when it's irreductible, when you're strongly believing that you're St. Paul or that you are, that you have the superpower or that you feel that you're in the top of the world, that feeling can be delusional. So you don't have to have hallucinations to be psychotic. In bipolar illness, we may find psychotic symptoms in both poles, in the, the, in the, the depressive pole and in the manic pole. So exactly as just Greg said, in a single patient, we may have a whole variety of symptoms. First, depending on the episode that he's having, is it either mixed, manic, or, or, or a depressive episode? So here you may see that that's why it's so very, it's so different from people to people and even in yourself. So as a summary, uh, I want to make clear that this situation actually begins not as a whole process, but step by step, you may begin to feel certain symptoms. And uh, I think that this is one of the key parts here that we will be showing you in this hour in, during the podcast. What are the first signs of psychosis? Thank you for that. Greg, I was so interested to hear about how this was playing out for you in the context of your work life. And, you know, I'm sure there are the many stresses and experiences that came hand in hand with your work. What was the relationship from your point of view between sort of triggers and stresses at work and the onset of psychotic experiences? The jobs that I had, I had uh, were in a row, I was National Defense University president. I was the commandant of the Army War College, the commander of Fort Leonard Wood, the commandant of the Army Engineer School. And so these jobs were high pressure to train and educate and prepare soldiers, sergeants, and officers to go into combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. And if you think of those wars, the troops in the field were very innovative. They adapted rapidly and they did, you know, really quite a good job. But the institutions back in the States were bureaucratic, uh, like uh, sclerosis of the arteries. Uh, they hadn't changed much since the Cold War. And so I was given one job after another. And, and a lot of it had to do with my educational background that I was seen as an innovative, transformational leader and a change agent. My mission would be go in and shake things up, transform this place, uh, make it more innovative, flexible, adaptive, and do a better job uh, training everybody to go to the wars. And oh, by the way, we're going to cut your budget 25%. So, you know, do, do better with less. And so every one of these jobs that I would go into, I was working for a very high-level four-star general and there was tremendous opposition and resistance to do the kind of changes that were necessary. And as my bipolar was getting worse, I was becoming more impatient, more, uh, I would get agitated, angry, even, you know, in a rage against people who were slow rolling the needed change. And meanwhile, 
soldiers were coming back in body bags. You know, I'm doing more and more funerals. Um, lose, guys are losing their arms and legs and eyes. And so the stress of trying to lead change accelerated and fueled my bipolar disorder and my psychosis. And, and then, so as those became worse, then my, my symptoms became worse as well. And so learning through these lived experiences that I had, how, did, how have I learned to deal with them? Well, I didn't deal with them very well at all when I was in my undiagnosed, unknown bipolar phase, but I've learned how to identify and manage the triggers, you know, to fence them off. Like in combat, you fence off a minefield or IEDs in a war and you don't go there. And for me, going on to high places, I, I feel this force, that invisible force again, going to throw me overboard off of a bridge, off of the deck of a cruise ship. So I try not to go up on high places and I stay away from the edges. I try to avoid oncoming 18 wheelers. Like if I am driving and there's a road where they're coming by, I try to pull off, rest, take a different road or let somebody else drive. If I'm going over a bridge where I'm worried the invisible force might grab my hands and drive me off, I avoid the bridges or I take a center lane. If I'm on a cruise ship, I, 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 if I'm at the outer edge or the top deck, I try to stay away from the edge, hold on to a rail, hold something solid, lock arms with, with my wife. So I find I have to be vigilant and on guard, like in combat against dangerous foe with self-protection. But one of the things that is a trigger, just like I talked about the stress and the friction of dealing with difficult people in a stressful, difficult situation uh, that gets me agitated, angry, sometimes leading to rage, which I described in the jobs that I had in the army. Um, the same thing happens now. Like, you know, there were some very tense, friction, stressful situations in the publication of the book that I would start thinking the worst. These people don't like me. They're out to get me. They want to hurt me. They want to sabotage the books. When in reality, they're probably not even thinking about me at all. And if they are thinking about me, they're thinking about how to help me and how to get the book done. But I have these, you know, paranoid, delusional thoughts, but I recognize them now. And I, I deal with them and I can box them off and put them away. And the other thing I've learned is to do an attitude adjustment. It just happened last week where I was getting these really bad thoughts about some people I was working with. And I took a pause. I didn't write an email. And I, I just said, these are good people who have my best interests in heart. They're not trying to hurt me. I wrote them a really nice, thankful email complimenting them. Then we had a phone call and it was, it was wonderful and everything's going great. But I could never have done that before I learned these lessons from uh, lived experience. But uh, this idea of transforming negativity into positive, loving thoughts and behavior is key. Hmm. Toxic people and toxic topics, they are triggers. And some of the things like I, I completely avoid and put out of my mind the politics and the polit this political decision-making of the Iraq war, of which I experienced the cost in blood. And I talk about it in my book, but I put it out of my mind because it, it's a trigger to send me into agitation, anger, rage, potential relapse of bipolar disorder or psychosis. I, so I block it out and avoid it. I'm also at the point where I don't want to hear or talk about politics, which is something that I used to love and discuss. I don't want to hear or talk about religion or other strident, opinionated topics because they just lead me to agitation, anger, stress and possibly a relapse of psychosis. And I, I'm, I'm not condemning people about their beliefs. I just don't want to talk about it. I build a fence around it to protect myself. I am so impressed with the complexity and the nuanced ways you have learned to really manage and control and reduce risk of psychosis. You know, and just so thinking about some of the metaphors you use, the kind of protective metaphor of building fences around potential minefields that you know are coming, uh, the insight that you've gained over a lot of years of reflection on 
things that may be potential triggers for you. It really sounded like the rigidity of your work system versus the you know day-to-day stresses. The combination of those two things was a particular potential trigger for you. And then the elements of cognitive behavior therapy, where you're reality checking and saying, are my assumptions here correct? And pragmatic strategies for doing that. Such a a rich approach to management that's come, obviously, with many years of practice and trial and error and insight and support. Um, Manuel, we have a question here that's very germane to this from the Ask Me Anything. Can I just read it out to you and you can respond? Thanks. Mm-hmm. This person said, if my psychosis only involves hearing voices or sounds, why do I need to get it treated? Is there the chance that it could damage my brain? Why? Why is treatment important in the context of this? Absolutely. But let me just before say some things about what just Greg said, which I loved it. Uh, I think that uh, it's a great description of of actually what are triggers. And I want the audience to identify their own triggers that can push you to psychotic symptoms. And triggers can be anything that's stressful. And stressful means changes, positive and negative. So it is very, very common that I see that when there is a new project, as with you, Greg, the book, uh, or, or a great conference or something coming, you need to evaluate yourself and see what are the certain first signs that can actually show you that you're going on a manic or psychotic episode. I see mania like a home run. It's like a great hit that is going over the wall. You know, first of all, you feel terrific. It's a great hit. Everybody's cheering. And then, oh my God, it's going far, 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 and it doesn't stop. So that that is how actually... Uh, a psychotic episode with manic symptoms begins, you know? It looks like a home run. It looks like a great hit. Everybody's happy. I see you better than ever. And then, oh my God, this is getting a little bit too much, too much, too much. And then you're with the symptoms. You begin with certain symptoms. So you have to realize what are the situations? A new job, changing a city, going to an exotic country, anything that make actually trigger those things. I love the idea of identifying toxic people and toxic topics. Absolutely. You can even see in an hour, there are certain topics that can actually push the buttons of a person. And if you insist, you may trigger all those things. Here in Greg's case, I think it's fascinating, the interaction with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and by and bipolar because actually and i i i feel very very i was i was so moved with the narration of war and definitely someone who has uh survived that experience actually uh you have all my respect greg because definitely uh those are brains who have suffered all this exposition to to uh to 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 death, to to all the all the struggle that you live there, and it's understandable that you may have symptoms of PTSD that can actually trigger a psychotic episode. Absolutely, so you have to learn when and why. But going to your question, uh, I feel certain voices, and actually I like them. "Quote unquote." Can can a patient tell me why to treat them? You need to treat them because. It's like a loose end that you need to tight because it's very, very uh, risky to have uh, not controlled psychotic symptoms. And actually, it's interesting because, and I'm going to go a little bit with treatment, you may have a mood stabilizer that is actually helping, but there's like a loose symptom. So you need like a squeeze of lemon. I told this this idea, like a, a small dose of an anti psychotic to actually pack all the treatment together and stop that symptom. So pharmacologically speaking, a small detail, just a squeeze of a medication can actually help you to stop having that symptom. You know, it has happened to me that I listen to patients and they tell me, oh, really? I thought that that was normal. No, no, no. It is a psychotic symptom that needs to go uh, away and it's actually going to make you function better. 
Remember this, always treatment is, should be seen like a positive part. This is going to make you a better person. Enjoy more life, enjoy more, car more carb cakes, more uh, walks with, uh, with your wife, and, and you need to love your meds. You know, like they are actually are my allies because they're helping me to control the symptoms and enjoy more life. Greg, did you want to add anything in on the medication treatment piece at this point? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Manuel, that was you know, brilliant what you just said. And medication is so key. And I, I made my mind up as soon as I got diagnosed uh, that I was going to take my meds every single day. And I haven't missed a day in you know many years. Um, so... For me, this idea of recovery and defense against psychosis and quality of life, I think it's critical that we recognize and confront intellectually when we have psychosis. Accept that the events are happening. Don't blame yourself because they're part of an illness, not a character flaw. And I really needed help from one of my sons and a, a former boss who helped me understand reality as opposed to my delusions. And it was, it was these delusions that people were watching me, wanted me to be arrested and murdered in jail. So they were big help, a big help in helping me to recognize reality. So the medication, the, the therapy is key with my therapist and my wife, Maggie, as a battle buddy, because she's very observant, very keen, can see things and feel things that, that I don't. I'll miss them. So therapy has been key. Touching on the medication, I had no effect, no improvement at all during my two years of bipolar hell until lithium, which countered the psychosis. It lifted me out of depression, and I haven't been in depression for seven years, and it's present, prevented me from going into uh, mania. Um, I also, in addition to lithium, take lamictal and lorazidone mixed in. So I think the three L's are a good mix for me. They seem, seem to be working. Um, and then healthful living. I mean, it's critical that we have a healthy life of, you know, proper sleep, diet, exercise, water, minimize stress and the like. Sarah Schley's got a great model. She calls it PEX in her book, uh, Brainstorm, every day she should do something physical, emotional, creative, and social. Um, and then she uh, expounds on them. But I've, I, I believe in a thing called the five Ps. And so the, the, the medicine, the therapy, the healthful living are necessary, but not sufficient. They need to be anchored on what I call the social platform of the five Ps, which are people Surround yourself with a happy, energizing, fun group of people. Place, live in a place that makes you happy and enables you to do the things you want to do. Purpose, have a purpose or a mission that's, you know, larger than yourself, that's serving others, that energizes you. Uh, and then you need perseverance. You have to have the will to fight through difficult times. I mean, this is not an easy thing to recover from mental illness. So you have to have the will to win and to want to recover and keep fighting. And when you get knocked back or you have a relapse, you keep fighting, pull yourself up, keep moving forward. And then last, the last P is what I call presence. And it's this idea of thinking about your own thinking or metacognition, where you can get outside of your own head and, and think about what you're thinking. Because a lot of times, it's not accurate and it's not correct. Um, and you can get to a more realistic view. So I've had no mania and no depression uh, over the last seven years, but I have had in the last two years, two dangerous episodes. One was a PTSD intense episode and one was an anxiety attack, a panic attack that could have led to a relapse. So I was really, really fortunate. And I wrote an article about it in Psychiatric Times. And then since lithium in 2016, up till today, uh, the psychotic incidents are very few and pretty mild. Um, I mentioned the invisible force being way down. The boa snake that used to crush me has gone away completely. And I very rarely have a delusion that my foes are out to get me or that I even have any foes. I would say I've had about a dozen days in the last seven years where I've had hypomania or some 
form of strong agitation, anger, or anxiety. In another dozen or so days, when I entered the early stages of psychosis, but was able to head it off quickly. So in conclusion, I would say recovery is possible. You know, take hope. You can live a happy, healthy, purposeful life. And I am living proof of that. That's great. You know, I like uh, very much the idea of seeing that the medications work in a balanced way. You know, I like your three L's for you, lithium, lamotrigine, and fluoracidone. And actually, I use an example with my patients, uh, depending if they need a three-legged stool or a four-legs, because it's an equilibrium. And you have to visualize that you need the three medications, in your case, to work properly. You, in, in, in many cases in, in BD, you need more, like, more than one. Most, let, let, let's say like 90% of the people are taking more than two. And, and this is actually what is happening in your brain, that first of all, they work for the crisis and they put you back to reality and, and, and they work in the acute state. But after the years, you see the magic. You see the magic of a brain that is working properly, that is making new connections. And it's like a long time investment. Medications work through time. And just as you said, it's been years. And yes, it's a long road and you have to wait and, it's, and wait and see how the medication is working with your brain and how you interact. I love your piece. Definitely toxic people, toxic to, uh, topics should get away from you and surrounding yourself of people, of a quality of life, of good things to do with, with your life as I are going to interact with your medications in the proper way and put you just where you need to be. At the end, you need to learn to live with the illness because the illness is never going to go. It's going to be controlled. And you, 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 should, you should see the medication that is, keep you always, is keeping you always in balance. You know, you may be a little bit up, a little bit down, but that medication is helping. And you need to live with the symptoms. You need to understand them. Don't get afraid. Talk to your doctor. Talk to your family. And find a solution always to get these things. You need to have your survival kit. Let's say things that I need uh, if I'm away or if I'm uh, uh, having certain symptoms. For some people, it is like, okay, I'm not going to go out this night. For example, with, with many teens, with bipolar, I say to them, if you go out one night, the next night you're staying home. You're paying me that night. So you're going to find your tricks. You're, you're, you're going to find your tricks that you need to use. Be with the positive people. Stay the weekend at home. Take a little bit more of antipsychotic. You know, call my therapist. What are the things that I should do in order to pass a difficult day? You need to have that in practice, you know? And I think that at the end of the day, Aaron and Greg and and we we all work as a whole team, and you need to make like a family, like a community. That's what I love about Crespity. It's a community of people with the same objective, and that's part of the magic. Beautiful responses, both of you. Can we take one more question before we end? And it's really speaking to the psychological and social consequences that people can experience after psychosis. And I'll read it to you as the question came in. This person said, the worst part of psychosis is that you could do and say things that hurt your friends and family irreparably. What did you do to make amends? The aftermath of my first psychotic episode was the hardest thing I had to deal with. My friends and family never looked at me the same. How did you forge recovery in the context of this? For me, I, I had some of my psychosis where I believed certain people at work were recording and videoing me and they're out to get me arrested, thrown in jail, and all my benefits and pay taken away. I mean, what? A, and these were really good people who loved me who worked very hard to support and take good care of me, who knew I was sick, who had bipolar disorder. 
they they didn't know much about the psychosis though. And so I think it was probably when I finally went to them and asked them, are you or were you doing these things to hurt and take me down? I think that was very hurtful and painful for them with like a dagger to the heart. And these were army officers who were terrific people. And, uh, and they were shocked that I would even ask such a question. And I, and I, I told them, I said, Hey, you know, I believe this is happening, but I have, you know, intense, severe bipolar disorder. I have psychosis. Um, I've been diagnosed. And so this is what I've been thinking. And, you know, and then, and then they assured me that none of it was true. It was not real at all, but I still didn't believe them. And I I had to go back a week later and confront them again. And then finally I was, I came to the point you know, miraculously where I believe though, but I, you know, apologized to them. I said, Hey, I'm so sorry, but I have a sickness of the brain called in its very intense bipolar disorder and psychosis. And so I, I didn't mean you any harm or insult or anything like that at all. You know, would you please forgive me because I was sick and, and I really wasn't meaning to hurt you at all. And I, and that's what I did in other cases as well. And most of the people have been very good about saying, Hey, I understand, you know, I, you know, I don't hold anything against you. Let's still be friends. But there are a number, uh, particularly at the National Defense University where I was president in full blown mania and then went into depression where they have never forgiven me. They won't talk to me. They won't respond to emails or phone calls. And, and that's too bad. I, I tried to interview about a half a dozen people who worked with me when I was at my worst. And I, I thought it would be great information for the book to help, you know, people learn and understand more about bipolar disorder and psychosis, but they just, they were, it was so troubling for them and so distressing and hurtful that they just don't want to reopen that chapter of their lives. And they, they even, one of them even said in an email, he said, Hey, I've, I've buried it. I don't want to dig it back up again. It's too painful. It hurt too much. So with all respect, don't talk to me about it again. Goodbye. That happens. Yeah, yeah. it's sad to hear, but a reality, right? We know from research Mm -hmm. evidence that stigma obviously still exists towards mental health conditions. It exists in particular. It towards psychosis when it's hard for the public or people without experience sometimes to you know put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Mm-hmm. So very real losses can occur. And well, yeah, I think that that uh, Greg just said a very important and difficult point for a patient when you're stable and you begin to understand what you had, and many beliefs and many strong beliefs that you may have you realize that they were based on psychotic symptoms. That, that process that you just mentioned, that, th- that your son helped you, that you have to go back and re- revisit moments of your life and feelings of your life that were done and the decisions that were taken under a psychotic episode. And that's difficult. That's difficult to digest because you have to understand that that happened in your mind I tell them it is re- it was real in your mind, but it didn't happen outside your brain. So we have to understand that never happened. And that may be difficult, difficult as a process to digest. And you need time to realize that many of your uh, decisions may be based on a delusional thought or on a hallucinated state, you know? So that's, that's a lot of work. And that's why you need therapy. Medication is going to put you back in reality, but you need to speak out to do this with a specialist. And actually you need like a surgeon to go piece by piece, piece by piece. And let's talk, let's go back, let's go forward. You know, you, 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 you always see, uh, working with BD, you need like a, like a class of your own brain. You need to understand this happened to me. So I need to see different moments of my life and put on a on the correct basket each of the situations. This was real, this was a symptom, and 
separate all of them. And this may take many, many months and years. So you're always going to find people that are going to be empathic and they're going to understand and they're going to go with your life and they're going to lo love you as always. But there are certain people uh, that they may be biased or they may have some kind of stigma in their in their way of their belief on all this. And yes, you need to learn to live with certain people. They're never going to forgive you, you know. But at the end, I always think that at the end of the life of someone, they may go back and revisit what happened because mental illness is so common and it touches everybody, every all of the families, you know. The, it's it's part of our daily living. You have we have a brain, a stomach, lungs. So it's part of our body, and you need to understand that any part of our body can have an illness, and you have to realize that. But I think that at the end of the day, we're making a difference, and we're helping people to understand and to join a community like CRSPD, like ISBD, and and see how exciting it is to have these conversations and to realize that there are many people struggling and living with the same. And I know, Greg, that the audience is going to find all your stories so inspirational because there is hope. There is a lot of hope. And actually, I, you know, I wish to all of the audience to be strolling down the beach and having a carrot cake. I love it, you know? Uh, <laughs> I will stay. I tell tell your wife that uh, you you have two people that are very interested in trying that card cake. <laughs> well, I'll I'll definitely let her know. In fact, this morning, you know, the cake is beautiful. It's really delicious, and uh, we brought two pieces to a husband and wife team that are part of our dancing group, and so we gave them a surprise for you know early morning surprise for breakfast. Uh, two big pieces of carrot cake, and they love it because it's so good. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Great for salsa dancing. <laughs> right. I'm going to end with a similar question for both of you, and you can take a moment to think about it if you, if you need to. But Manuel, starting with you, imagine a situation where you're seeing somebody who's just experienced psychosis for the first time in the context of bipolar disorder, it's your first chance to work with them clinically. What are the main messages that you want that person to hear? Yeah, it's a great question. And first of all, respect. Respect for the symptom. Because the worst thing that you can say, oh, this is a fantasy, this is not happening. So I've said a lot of times in this podcast, it is happening in your brain. It's real for you because people really hate that they treat you in a way that you're, this is a story that you're making up. This is like a fantasy. So you have to give respect for the patient. That is number one. It is a symptom. It should be seen as a medical symptom. So you need to pay respect. You need to listen and to understand how scary, how frightening. It may be to experience a delusional idea or thought or a hallucination. So you first need to be empathic with the person that is living the symptom. Step two, you need to uh, design, you know, like, like structure the symptom. This is the symptom from here to here. You need to compartmentalize it, you know, to really make it like something that you need to work, like a brick. This is a symptom that we need to move, you know. And the patient needs to understand that we need to take that thing away because it's bothering you. So the way to do it is with a medication that is going to help. Medications should be seen like an ally. This is going to like a shovel. I'm going to take the symptom away from you. And then you need to work on therapy. We need to understand the impact in your personality, in your own brain of those symptoms. Because many people realize that they've been having psychotic symptoms for years, for years. And that actually has been intertwined with their personalities. So you need to separate the threats and to help the person to develop their own personality in a healthy way, you know? So that is what is so beautiful of treating this illness, because the, you need to 
understand that you need many different persons that are going to help you. The yoga teacher, the the salsa dancer lessons, you know, like like many different persons that are going to help you to to uh, discover who you are and take away the toxic part of the illness. So that's like that's like a like a long summary because it's not going to be in a one day that you're going to get the symptoms. You may get the psychotic thing away fast, but you need to do a lot of work to completely digest the symptom and the process. To integrate those pieces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Greg, let's teleport you back into your younger self. The first time you were experiencing psychosis, what would you tell yourself if you could go back in time? What have you learned over those years of experience that you wish you could share with your younger self? That they are real, that uh, they're, it's, it's based, it's symptoms based on what's physically happening inside the wiring of the brain in the chemistry of the brain. Uh, it's not something to be afraid of. That if, if I go, and I would tell my younger self, if I, if I realize this or I feel these symptoms or detect them, that if I go and get professional medical help, you know, uh, somebody, somebody like Manuel who understands this and is trained deeply in it, that it can be assessed and diagnosed and treated and with, with medication, especially to get the brain chemistry right. And then that whole journey of recovery and wellness, that, that, that path is very, very possible with, you know, therapy and healthful living and being with happy, fun people and doing salsa dancing, eating carrot cake and learning to be kind and loving and forgiving to people who maybe are, you think are out to get you avoiding toxic people and toxic subjects and just living that journey with your eyes wide open, thinking about and recording and implementing lessons learned and just realize that this is the journey that we're on for the rest of our life, that these, these, uh, you know, illnesses are not going to go away. They need to be managed, but we know how to manage them. And so it's a matter of doing it. And if we do it, then we can live again, that happy, productive, meaningful life of, of, uh, of joy and happiness. I can't imagine a better way of closing our time together other than to say thank you both for sharing today on this Talk BD episode. Um, may you find some more carrot cake before the end of the week. And <laughs> thank you for your time together. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Erin. It's a pleasure always to work this way. I, I agree. It was fantastic working with both of you. I learned so much. I mean, you're both just absolutely tremendous. Both pe just as people and as professionals. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.